Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go. Brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not be understood as or considered a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more information. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Adam Childers, here on the podcast brought to you by the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy, known as Briefly Legal. All of you wonderful listeners out there, I'm very excited to tell you that we are going to do something today that we have not done previously, and that is bring back two of our star guests from previous episode. That was episode number seven. Today, I've got my law partner, Anthony Hendricks. I've got associate Jordan Sessler, and they're here to talk to us about cybersecurity and cyber attacks and data breaches and all the stuff that you see in the news these days. And you kind of like me know just enough to be dangerous, but you need experts like them to come along and tell us the rest of the story. So I'm excited to have both of them here. Anthony, Jordan, say hello to everybody. Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Hendricks. Hey, this is Jordan. Well, guys, I'm really excited to have you back. You know, the last time I had you on episode seven, for those who'd like to go back and uh, hear your your voices again, I felt outgunned. Uh, A couple of Harvard men and and your degrees talking to me about things that uh, I could only scratch the surface of. But um, I was still intrigued to the point that I thought, well, we got to have them come back, particularly because you can't turn on any news cycle these days without seeing the very issues that you guys are addressing here for the firm every single day as part of our cybersecurity and data privacy practice group, which is a brand new practice group. It's chaired by Anthony. Jordan is his right-hand guy, and they are both doing an amazing job of keeping up with uh, these, uh, you know, ever-changing topics and really keeping businesses and our clients ahead of the game when it comes to regulation and uh, advice and counsel on how to avoid the pitfalls of cyber attacks. So I want to jump right into it, guys. And Jordan, let's just do it this way. Why don't you just kick it off for us and explain to the audience why cybersecurity is coming up in the news seemingly every single day? Yeah, I mean, thanks for having us. And you're right. It does seem like cybersecurity is coming up in the news every day. And to some degree, that's because it is. There are probably thousands or at least hundreds of cyber attacks on American businesses every day. Last year, there were about 800,000 discrete cyber incidents that were reported to the FBI. Um, And the FBI estimates that the number of cyber attacks has gone up fourfold since COVID started. And so it it is truly something that is happening every day. And and this is sort of a natural progression. As more information is shared online and more business is done online, there's going to be more and more data that can be compromised. And as a result, cybersecurity incidents ranging from potential events to full-on data breaches and cyber attacks are becoming increasingly common. Cyber attacks can take many different forms, but the most common ones are ransoms. And this is something we've seen in the news a lot recently, holding something, whether it's data or functionality, in exchange for payment. Um, And so we've seen the Colonial Pipeline, where both data and functionality was held for hostage, JBS, the meat producer, where I believe functionality was held for hostage as well as data, and then other instances where just sensitive data was held. So we see this a lot with healthcare providers. There's thousands of hospitals They're affected by cyber attacks each year and ransomware attacks. And then the city of Tulsa to our north, which was the victim of a ransomware attack and then shuttered most of its network to protect additional information from being taken. 
These sort of ransom attacks can put decision makers in really difficult situations, choosing between delivering their products to customers or protecting their customers' personal data or paying ransoms to cyber criminals who are going to use that money to go after someone else. Now, it's not just ransomware attacks. We also see um, other incidents, usually terrorist-style incidents where you might take over the functionality of a business or a government entity. So there was a water plant in Florida earlier this year that was attacked by a hacker and they took over the industrial control system for the entire plant and then tried to poison the water. And then there's also standard data theft, which is something that I think many of us are familiar with from previous years. So that's where someone gets into a system and takes data often without holding it for ransom or without you knowing about the attack to then use that data for fraud or identity theft at a later date. So in recent years, we've seen Target, Equifax, Capital One have high profile data breaches. And of course, SolarWinds, a government contractor, was hacked late last year and something that really affected multiple government agencies and hundreds of businesses. So Anthony, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing this and I'm thinking, is this real life or is this the script of some, uh, you know, advanced in the future movie that, you know, I used to you know watch with all when I, when I was a kid. I mean, seriously, Jordan's pointed out what a high profile problem this, this is, but give me the nuts and bolts. How do these cyber attacks actually occur and what is it that businesses should be on the lookout for to know if that is impending or is already taking place? So there are so many different types of cyber attacks. There are business email compromise attacks, ransomware, which you've probably seen in the news. There's denial of services attacks. Uh, And they all work in different ways, but they all have one thing in common. Uh, It's where an attacker is able to take advantage of a vulnerability. And, And so there can be all types of vulnerabilities. There can be technical ones, like where a company fails to patch a security issue. Uh, There can also be policy vulnerabilities where you don't have a policy in place. For example, a policy to remove former employees access to your system when they leave. And so now you have a ghost account that can keep your system being vulnerable. There's also human vulnerabilities. This is where an employee may open up an email or click on a link that they shouldn't click on. And, And so cyber attacks occur when attackers are able to access and take advantage of a vulnerability. So businesses, and especially employees, because employees are the first line of defense, uh, they should really trust their spidey sense. So you know when something is going going on that shouldn't be going on. So your system's running a little bit too slow. Your email isn't working. If you are looking at your network logs, you're missing logs for a certain date. Uh, you keep getting strange emails. And so if any of these types of things uh, are occurring or just something out of the ordinary, that's when you should stop and you should report it. Because it's a lot easier to deal with an issue uh, where someone looks at it and they say, oh, no, it wasn't an issue or, oh, it's just something that's happening to your computer than for you to sit there and be quiet and then your whole company is exposed. Yeah, you just hit on something I'm always worried about. I don't want to be the vulnerability. I don't want to be the guy that uh, clicks on the email that he shouldn't. And they become much more sophisticated, right? I can recall, you know, even 15, 20 years ago, you know, if I got a email from a prince in some country that said I needed to help bring those millions on board. I generally knew something was up, but they become more sophisticated, harder to detect. And I guess, you know, Jordan, that really leads to the the, the burning question of the day and one I'm sure, and in the practice group area that you guys work in, you uh, deal with every day. And that is, how do you prevent this? What, what do you tell businesses that don't want these sort of cyber attacks to happen and uh, mess up their operations? So, Maybe the first point to make is that you can't always prevent cyber attacks. 
um, just as as you talked about, the the mechanisms being used have evolved over time. Cyber criminals spend their entire lives trying to figure out how to exploit each and every vulnerability. So no matter what you're doing, there's always going to be some susceptibility to a cyber attack. But that doesn't mean you can't close as many vulnerabilities as you possibly can, and then reduce the possibility of an attack and mitigate its fallout. And that, quite frankly, is very important because the cost endemic to cyber attacks can really be crippling. Um, I think IBM estimated last year that the average direct cost to a company of an independent cyber attack was about $8 million. And if you think about that cost to employees, to companies, to investors, potentially passed on to consumers, that's significant. And so we really should be doing everything we can on the front end to protect against cyber attacks. And I think, as, as you said, that's maybe the most important thing we can do. So you can implement cybersecurity protections, right? The basic network updates, many of the cyber attacks that we've talked about in the news were because networks weren't updated, software wasn't updated. Using dual factor authentication, the Colonial Pipeline was the result of a, a decrepit password that someone used on multiple accounts that got leaked, that was found on the dark web, and then was used to log in and then go through a backdoor VPN into the entire network for Colonial Pipeline. The Oldsmar Water Hack in February was also an instance where there wasn't dual factor authentication and one leaked password was able to undo everything. And so these sort of basic password security requirements can make a really big difference. And that's something you can train your employees on. There's also more sophisticated protections you can put in place, and there are industry standards and certifications that can help with that. So there's ANSI technical standards that can be used and applied, as well as ISO certifications, which can be pricey, but in certain industries can be quite necessary and can have significant payoff. But fundamentally, no matter what you're doing, put in place data security protocols to help train your employees on what their spidey sense should be. Put in place data security and privacy policies so that employees know how to handle sensitive data and know what passwords they should be using. And then very importantly, put in place breach response plans so that when someone sees something going wrong, they can notify who they're supposed to notify immediately. And you can respond within minutes instead of hours or days. And then, and this is something Anthony has talked about for years, practice and audit those plans so that they're followed in the same way you wouldn't just drop a sports play and then expect to execute it five games into the season. You need to practice it every week. You need to practice these policies and these response plans so that they're followed when things go wrong. I should add that in some industries, especially related those related to government or infrastructure, there are free resources in place that can help you pay for these measures, help you train your employees, and audit your cybersecurity. And this ties to, I think, sort of a, an important thing that we're just now talking about, which is that once you have these policies in place, you should treat data security like any other employment issue. You need to train your employees on how to follow the procedures, but then you need to make sure they do. If someone is consistently using insecure email, clicking on phishing emails, violating data security protocols or privacy policies, then you should treat those infractions like any other employment issue. That person, by, by not following your data security policies, is putting your company at risk of a potential cyber attack or an $8 million cost to the company. You would train and discipline employees in other settings if they were risking that sort of liability. And I think we really need to start talking about training and disciplining employees on cyber issues just the same way. A final note is that we should all be trying to prevent bad things from happening, but preparing for the eventuality that they do. And so I would always recommend to a client to buy cyber insurance to help mitigate the costs in the back end, and also make sure you have in-house or preferably external counsel in place to help on the fly if something goes wrong to make sure that you're doing everything you need to do in the timeline that you need to do it.
So as an employment lawyer, I'm intrigued by the concept of making that grounds for a disciplinary issue. I think you are really tapping into something that's important there because for the most part, I think we sort of forgive and forget and, and, and chalk it up to a lack of technological savvy. But what we're really doing is forgiving and condoning something that could be really detrimental to the business as a whole. Of course, I say all that and I'm thinking to myself, I better do a better job on my passwords than just changing the number at the end to a new the, the next one in sequence. So I think I may have given up my big secret there. But now, because Jordan scared the pants off me, uh, I will uh, make sure to do a better job of that. But Anthony, we just heard Jordan talk about what to do uh, kind of on the front side, the preventative angle. But oftentimes you realize it's happening when it's happening. So tell us what businesses should be doing when the cyber attack is already underway. Well, the first thing they should do is just pause and take a deep breath. It's a stressful time, uh, but stressing out about it and worrying about it is not going to help you get the job done. So first thing is to just kind of just take a beat. And then the next thing you should do is that you should follow your incident response plan. And if you don't have a plan, then you should create one right now because it just makes life so much easier when you have a script or a playbook to go off of. So what exactly would that plan say? Uh, Well, it'll probably start by telling you to isolate your system, to stop it from spreading to any other part of your system. The next thing you're probably going to want to do is you're going to want to contact your insurance carrier. So if you have cybersecurity insurance, you're probably going to want to contact your carrier and talk to them about retaining a law firm, uh, retaining uh, cyber professionals to do a forensic search of your system. And then in some instances, you may want to use a PR firm uh, to help you convey the message to the public. Uh, You should also consider notifying law enforcement. And and so it doesn't mean that you have to notify law enforcement, but you probably should have a conversation about whether you want to. Uh, Next, you should work with an attorney about providing regulatory notice, uh, notifying all the agencies uh, that you may need to, depending on the type of information that's been exposed or accessed. And then the next thing you want to work on is notifying the people that may be impacted by a data breach and let them know that their information may have been exposed. But you don't just want to tell them what happened, that their information was exposed. You also want to say, hey, we want to protect you, so here's some credit monitoring. Here's a phone number that you can call, and somebody can walk you through what happened and walk you through some steps of the next steps for you to be taking to protect yourself. Yeah, I'm sure messaging is huge on that uh, on that front, because when people who aren't as technologically savvy as the two of you hear things like cyber attack and ransomware and those sorts of things, they begin to worry, well, I have a place to come to work. And, and your point is well taken. you got to look out for the, the company, but also for them and any impact it may have on them or their personal health information or financial information. There's a, there's a lot that goes into it. Now, I should point out, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm talking to uh, some future tellers here, Nostradamus uh, or, or two, because you both have been relatively vocal on the topic of cyber attacks and security and data breaches in recent months, even speaking and writing about potential approaches for reforming federal law even before the colonial pipeline attack that we were talking about earlier. I know that after the colonial pipeline attack, you published an op-ed calling for regulatory reform just a week before that exact reform was announced. Uh, Why do you feel like it's important uh, to take the lead on this topic? Uh, So, Jordan, I'll, I'll start. This is a topic that we should all be paying attention to because critical infrastructures affect all of us, uh, whether it's uh, filling up your tank with gas, 
turning on your lights, or even taking your kids to school. We interact with these critical infrastructures all the time. And we are better off when all businesses, but especially critical infrastructures, are, are well prepared to handle these types of incidences. And, and so that's why we want to put a focus on that. And that's why we feel like we have a duty to not just help our clients, but to help all of society by talking about critical infrastructures and how it impacts all of us. Jordan, what are, what are your thoughts on that and taking the lead when it comes to these types of issues? Yeah, I, I think that until recently, as, as you almost talked about, Adam, it's it's sometimes hard to take cybersecurity issues seriously because they feel so removed from the physical reality in which we live. Anthony talked about flipping the light on in the morning or taking your kids to school, and that feels different. It's tangible. It's sometimes different than some of the cybersecurity issues that we deal with. And I think as a result, the government often has not treated cybersecurity with the same urgency as other policy issues. One consequence of that is that there just often isn't concrete legal guidance as to what critical infrastructure operators or businesses should and should not be doing in the cybersecurity realm. And I think that's really one of the reasons why Anthony and I have spoken out about some places in the law where guidance was particularly lacking. Um, We think it deprives companies in a lot of situations of regulatory certainty as to how they should be guarding against cyber attacks. And what we don't want is for a client to do everything right, but still be held liable for a cyber attack that would have occurred even if regulations existed and even if they'd been followed. As we talked about, sometimes bad things happen. You have a bunch of foreign cyber criminals spending all of their time trying to make those bad things happen. And putting sort of unlimited, if you will, race extra ipsa loquitur style liability onto businesses in these situations is sometimes unfair and really threatens to pass the cost of cybercrime onto investors and customers. Um, And that can happen in a dual sense, right? You're not just passing it on to them on the back end, but you're passing it on to them on the front end through increased gas prices after the Colonial Pipeline hack, or potentially increased meat prices after the JBS hack. And that's difficult on consumers and average Americans. People in Tulsa were unable to get their driver's license or marriage licenses in the days after the ransomware attack on Tulsa. That's an indirect cost that we're not measuring that's being passed on. And if we're then assessing liability to companies on the back end, that can really almost double price price and the consequence. But in in addition to sort of not putting companies in difficult situations, complying with the minimum standard of care will also prevent some cyber attacks. And I think that's what can keep the lights on and make it easy for us to take our kids to school, especially for smaller mid-sized companies who simply don't pay much attention to cybersecurity and have employees who probably pay even less attention to the issue. Anthony, closing thoughts on that? Sure. I, I think it's important to just think of cybersecurity issues as any other type of legal problem where there's big solutions and small solutions. And so we talked a lot about these big solutions with regulations, but I have a small solution that I just wanted to talk about. Uh, Adam, you mentioned your your password on on your uh, uh, computer. Uh, I often tell people when you're thinking about a password, maybe think about a poem or a quote or a verse from the Bible or the Quran that you really enjoy. You don't have to put the whole thing in there. You can only put part of it. You can put maybe the first letter of each Uh, a word in the phrase or the third letter. uh, And that gives you a password that's a little bit more complicated, but you'll be able to remember it because it's something meaningful for you. And so that's a small solution. Uh, Password hygiene, that that can go a long way. As Jordan pointed out, uh, password policy issues can often be the reason for a lot of these big data breaches. I feel like I'm being judged for my password, which for the record is not password one, two, three, four, but might have been in my early, early days. But I've become more sophisticated. And Anthony, I think you're exactly right. And I'm going to do a better job of it. And I hope so do our listeners. And, and I hope that they take everything that the two of you have said to heart, because this is 
not a problem that's going away anytime soon. If anything, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And we absolutely need experts like the two of you in this field to make sure the business community doesn't get caught off guard. Um, so, you know, we're, we're uh, about finished up here. And last time the two of you were here, you were uh, nice enough to play that uh, favorite game of mine, Get to Know That Crow. I really just want to follow up on one aspect of what we did last time. And Anthony, you have your own podcast called Nothing About You Says Computer Technology. I was, um, uh, I've listened to it. Uh, I, I love uh, your style and I'm, I'm more than a little bit um, off my game in your presence because uh, knowing, you know, how uh, slick you are with your own presentation, but you do this on a on a weekly basis, and I understand that today may be kind of a, a big, momentous uh, occasion for the podcast. Uh, yes, yes, I'm, I'm on episode 52, so that'll be what I'll record after work today, and so that represents a year worth of podcasting. Uh, I had a couple of breaks in there, so it's not exactly one year on the dot, uh, but it feels really good to have put out or will be putting out 52 episodes of a weekly podcast. Well, that's excellent. And we certainly wanted to give a plug for you. If the uh, folks out there want to hear 50, number 52 or any of the 51 that preceded it, where do they go to, Anthony? Uh, yeah, you can check out the podcast at www.nothingaboutyou.com. Uh, you can also find it on iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify. That's perfect. Well, congratulations to you and and thank you, uh, both of you, Anthony and Jordan, for the work that you do and and really the pioneers and, and leaders that you're becoming in this area, particularly with our new cybersecurity and data privacy practice group here at the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. Uh, big things ahead for both of you, and I know you're going to be uh, very, very important to the Oklahoma business community as we move forward. Well, that's all for today, everyone. I want to say uh, goodbye to everyone from the uh, Crow's Nest here in Oklahoma City and thank uh, Anthony and Jordan for coming back on the show for this second time and becoming pioneers in that regard as well. I uh, want to also just thank you, the audience, for joining us. And I want to remind you, don't forget to find us on all the social media platforms. Uh, or if you have a show idea, you know, send it our way to Briefly Legal at CrowDunleavy.com. We always like hearing from you and we look forward to joining you next time here on Briefly Legal. <laughs>